Hello and welcome back to the Canadian Money Roadmap Podcast. I'm your host, Devin Neufeld. Today is a bonus episode and I wanted to get in here and talk a little bit about what's going on with Silicon Valley Bank and some of the headlines you might be seeing about failures in the banking sector in the United States. So typically I haven't done a lot of live reaction type of podcast before, but I had a conversation earlier this week with somebody who mentioned off the cuff that they believed that over a third of the United States had lost access to their money and was nervous about holding cash in his own bank account. And I thought, my goodness, there must be a ton of misinformation going around about what's actually happening. If you haven't heard anything about this, this is probably still a decent podcast to listen to, but if you've heard anything about banks failing or Silicon Valley Bank or any of these kind of headlines recently, I wanted to give kind of a breakdown about what's actually going on. So hopefully you can better understand it for yourself. Now, full disclosure, I am not, I repeat, not an expert on the monetary system in the United States. The banking system is very complicated. And the more you read about it, the more you realize how complicated it really is. And so it can be tempting to really oversimplify what's going on with with a tweet here and a headline there, but I'm going to try to break down the actual reality of what's what's been going on here. I'll try to keep it really quick. This is a bonus episode. It's going to be short, but if you want to read a little bit more, I've got a link from a guy named Mark Rubenstein, and he wrote a great article about it and really gets into the weeds. So if you're one of those people that likes to get into the weeds on, on this kind of thing, I'll attach the link in the show notes here. So let's get started. So um, on the surface, when you hear about a bank failing, that sounds pretty grim. Like it, it sounds pretty troubling, especially for those of us that lived through 2008, 2009. It's like, oh, this sounds familiar. Fortunately, this is not like 2008 and 2009. And uh, despite that, the, the American system is just fundamentally different than ours here in Canada. And the American banking system is comprised of thousands of banks, like over 4,000 <laughs> banks, some of them are massive, some of them are really small. And as a result of that, it's it's kind of a unique intricacy that that could lead to situations like this with Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank being shuttered. So this isn't a good thing and I maybe this will keep you up at night. I, I hope not. But since 2001, there have actually been 563 bank failures in the United States. So this kind of thing happens for sure. But the, these ones were particularly large examples, but they're, they're different than many of the failures in the past. So like I said, I'm going to try to give you a better understanding of the current situation here quickly. So, okay. What happened with Silicon Valley Bank? So SVB, that's a regional bank whose primary clients are, or I guess were tech companies, startups, founders of startups and their families. And as you can imagine, there are unique challenges and opportunities with this group of clients and SVB, they structured their bank to be tailored towards them. They had unique benefits and services for people that were in the circumstance to be working or starting these types of tech companies. They've been around since the mid 80s and and they've kind of honed in on that specific clientele as their target demographic. So a little bit of context here. Back in 2020, during the pandemic, the economic environment at that time was was very, very much a product of very low interest rates and in some cases, 0% interest rates. 
And so innovative tech companies were able to raise money like never before. Because when money is cheap, the best idea wins. And there's a lot of ideas being thrown around, a lot of them involving crypto, the metaverse, video streaming, a delivery app for everything, the Uber of everything, you know. And there's money chasing all of these ideas, trying to earn a return. Because when interest rates are really low, it's tough to make make a return on investment through things like bonds. You can't make uh, can't make money on, on bonds when they pay such low rates. And so money goes into more speculative investments all the time. So as a result of that, a lot of companies based in Silicon Valley, these are the, this is kind of like the idea and innovation hub of the United States. As a result, there are 480 80 initial public offerings in the U.S. So these are companies that were going public. And when that happens, they raise a bunch of money that goes back to the companies. So this is the first time that a company will then be listed on a stock exchange. And in exchange for that, they receive money from investment banks, large investors, and the retail general public. And so there's 480 in 2020, which was an all-time record for a single year. Now, the crazy thing is, in 2021, there is 908 IPOs. So this is a pretty wild time here very recently where money was flowing into literally the the geographic area of Silicon Valley at an unprecedented rate. So this extra cash going into the tech ecosystem needed somewhere to go. And the vast majority of it landed at SVB, Silicon Valley Bank. So between the end of 2019 and the first quarter of 2022, just over a couple of years there, the bank's deposit balances more than tripled all the way up to $198 billion. This is a bank that doesn't have a lot of customers. It is small in terms of the number of people or clients it serves, but they had deposits early last year of $198 billion with a B. So SVB, they're, they're a non-traditional bank, and due to the nature of its many customers, they don't have a lot of loans being provided to them, right? Because these are their typical customers, the person that needs a place to park their money for a period of time. They don't necessarily need access to a mortgage or a car loan, you know, small lines of credit, things like that. Like th- These people largely have all the money that they need, but they just need a place for it to go. So SVB takes that cash and... They're not just going to sit on it. They're going to try to make a little bit of money on it. But the way that they do that is they bought bonds and most of them being bonds that were tied to mortgages. So mortgage backed securities. These are theoretically low risk, low reward types of things that you can own. But most of these bonds were paying in the ballpark at that time of about 1.6%. And many of them had durations of up to 10 years. So that means that they would pay 1.6% per year, every year for 10 years. And then you get your money back. So that's kind of how bonds work. Now, let's fast forward to 2022 when interest rates start going up. So when interest rates go up, the relative value of a bond decreases because, okay, theoretically, if you could buy new bonds in the market for 3%, my stupid bonds that I bought that paid 1.6% last year, it's like, who wants that, right? So why would I want your 1.6% bond when you can buy a new one paying 3 So when interest rates go up, bond values go down. So again, when interest rates go up, business is no longer about best story wins because you actually need to make money now because debt's more expensive and you can earn a return in lower risk ways than going into super high risk equities. So these new tech companies recently flush with cash are now expected to be flush with profits sooner than reasonably could be expected in that environment. 
there can be some stigma against startup tech companies where they're all dumb ideas. Like, no, even a really good idea with a really good business, good management, it's expensive to operate these things and to get them off the ground. And so to become profitable very, very quickly is realistically a, a huge challenge. So with, with higher interest rates, new companies, they haven't been able to raise new money as easily and IPOs have nearly dried up entirely. And so these same companies that uh, previously IPO'd and are just getting started and have been raising money in, in the private markets, they start withdrawing their cash from SVB and similar banks like Signature because they actually need to fund operations and, and, and try to make their business work. And so as rates kept going up, cash kept flowing out the door. But remember those bonds that they owned? So SVB owned all those bonds. So to meet customer withdrawal requests... SVB needed to start selling some of those bonds now at a very significant loss. And they did that to the tune of about $1.8 billion of losses on the bonds that they sold. So very, very long story short here. This is where the, the Mark Rubenstein article would be a good place to take a look at for a breakdown on how this actually works. But since SVB locked into long-term bonds paying low interest, they were particularly exposed to interest rate risk and higher interest rate risk was very present for their entire client base as well, let alone the assets that they have on their own books. So when the risks of their entire client base are also magnified by higher interest rates, this is a massive problem. So if SVB was able to hold on to their bonds until they matured, they would have been just fine, but this is a matter of bad timing. So kind of the idea of when it rains, it pours, interest rates went up, people started withdrawing their money at a rate faster than expected, and it just bit of a cycle there. There's also a bit of a herd mentality problem. So a lot of these companies, they're in the same geographic area and a lot of these founders know each other and a lot of them, their largest investors are the same companies. And so those large investors and these these companies themselves, they talk to each other and a lot of them decided to take their money out at the same time. So it's like, oh, I hear so-and-so is taking their money out. Yes, you totally should. And I'm telling all of my other companies that they should be doing that too and so on and so on. So that makes it troubling. And then there's also bad choices by bank management. Like the question that needs to be answered, and I hope it will at some point, is like, why would they lock in such low rates for such long periods of time on their books? Like higher interest rates were were the worst kept secret around. So anyways, I don't believe personally that this is a problem of lack of regulation or greed or fraud. There's no fraud that I'm aware of. Regulation was totally fine. Greed, it almost seems like the opposite of greed. Like they, they, they locked in really low rates for a really long time. It was kind of bizarre. But that being said, regulations have already changed in the US and some greater protections are coming. There's some more opportunities there. I'm not going to get into what actually happened, but essentially the federal government and the Federal Reserve stepped in to make these depositors whole. So they're, even though the bank was taken over and closed, the deposits at these banks were fully insured. It's going to be some trickle-down effects of that, but that'll be yet to be seen, I believe. So no, this is not 2008. There weren't loans going into default. There's no fraud that I'm aware of. There's no high-risk, high-reward shenanigans that were going on. In my opinion, this is largely a problem of diversification or lack of diversification. They bought the same kind of bonds in the same duration and had one type of client. And so maybe there's a, a takeaway here for us <laughs> as investors. Don't own all of one stock. Don't own all your investments in any one country. 
I don't think you have any concern about the banking system here in Canada. A banking failure here looks very, very different. But like I said before, in the U.S., we've had over 500 bank failures in the last 20-some years. And in Canada, we've had zero. And that is more so by design than anything. The Canadian banks are massive, regulated differently, insured differently, and protected differently in that if they do need to be bailed out in Canada, it doesn't happen on the backs of taxpayers. But that's a little bit more of a complicated matter that I hope we never actually have to discuss in in earnest here. But anyways, that's a bit of a breakdown about what's going on there. Personally, I'm not concerned about our banking system here in Canada. What's probably going to happen is that the stock market is going to get a little bit bouncy. The volatility in the stock market has been considerably higher since this happened. But at the time of recording this, the S&P 500 is actually still on pace for a positive week. So you never know. Even with situations of things that have never happened before happen all the time, you might think you know how it plays out, but you never know. So I would be careful when reading newspapers and online media. I can, I'll tell you right now what's going to happen. They're going to try to find a guy who predicted this, and then they're going to make some sort of headline with his next hot stock picks or things that you need to be doing. Like, okay, whatever. Then there's going to be some YouTube guru. It's going to tell you to buy one thing or another. Actually, no, those guys are probably going to tell you to sell everything and bury it in your backyard. And there's going to be the the people that are really positive on crypto. They're going to say, there's like, oh, this is a failure of the fiat system here and, and crypto solves this problem. It's like, ah, it's all garbage. No, the banking system is not perfect. But in this case here, the depositors were made whole. And here in Canada, we don't have the same risks or challenges in that way either. But I think there is a story to be learned about diversification here that you can maybe extrapolate for yourself and take a look at your own portfolio and and how you've, you've built your investment strategy. Anyways, that's just a, a, a few quick thoughts that ended up being a little bit less quick than I thought. But thanks so much for listening here. I hope you have a good weekend and we'll see you on Wednesday. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Canadian Money Roadmap Podcast. Any rates of return or investments discussed are historical or hypothetical and are intended to be used for educational purposes only. You should always consult with your financial, legal, and tax advisors before making changes to your financial plan. Evan Neufeld is a certified financial planner and registered investment fund advisor. Mutual funds and ETFs are provided by Sterling Mutuals, Inc.